Well, good morning and thank you everybody for joining us here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'm Father Chris, one of the Marian priests, and it's an honor to have you with us for this very important, delicate, but necessary topic of transgenderism. And uh, we hope that you'll remain with us because we aren't here to attack anyone. This is only 0.7% of the population but it seems to be dominating about 70% of our time and attention. And there's reasons for that, good and bad. So we hope that you'll stay with us as this is on gender identity, gender dysphoria, transitioning, and gender affirming care. What does the Catholic Church teach? So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the spirit of enlightenment to us to see your truth, to know the wisdom that you have given us through the saints and through the scriptures, and most of all through the teaching of our church that leads us to you. We ask that the confusion and the pride of the devil be put at bay so that we may follow you faithfully forever. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, I tell you, um, a lot of people were warning me, don't do it, Father Chris, don't do it. And my brothers have been very supportive. So uh, most of these are from emails and from uh, lay friends outside of here. But my brothers have been very special. In fact, cameraman Giuseppe came in. He's with us in the front row and said he would be my bodyguard during this test, <laughs> during this talk. So we are, um, we're glad to have you with us. And um, like I said, we're going to try our best to give you the facts and church teaching. Again, we cannot emphasize enough that this is not a personal attack on anyone. This is trying to lovingly give you the truth. So now with that, we know that, you know, um, the, trans the transgender population is very small, actually, as I just said, about 0.7%. But yet, so much effort is being spent here, and we have to try to understand why. But regardless of all the, the science or the truth to this, we know we have to love them, we have to listen to them, and most of all, we have to walk with them. I saw Father Cavs, I got home, I was working with Brother Mark at the office last night. It was about 12.30 at night when I left, and Father Kaz was in the driveway. Um, he was working on his cell phone, and he only said one thing to me. And he said, just be careful, Father Chris, but you got to let them know our goal is to walk with them, okay? And I said, Father, that's the first line in the talk that I have printed out here, uh, is we walk with them. We, we, we love them. Uh, but that doesn't mean hiding the truth from them, okay? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, um, I don't have to love you to give you everything. Or let me say that a better way. I can still love you without giving you everything you want. My parents taught me that, okay? I can love you. I don't have to give you everything you want. I can still love you, but I am gonna walk with you. The best thing that we can do is to share the truth with you if we love you. Dysphoria comes from confusion. And where does confusion come from? The devil. All right, the reality is different. 
the reality is human sexuality is not just the body, the genitals has a physical, emotional, and spiritual nature. It's not just one of these. And many today thinks that sex is not an objective biological reality, but rather a social construct. And so this is the problem. This is where we see the beginning of the issues. Many think, as I said, that sex is not an objective biolog biological reality, but rather a social construct. This is disastrous. Many think this. Now let's, let's start with our definitions. Let's go to our next slide. What is transgenderism and all these terms you hear? I could spend the next two hours giving you terms and definitions. That's part of the problem. They keep changing the definitions and the wording and the nomenclature and to, to kind of maintain control of the narrative, to maintain control of the, logist, the, the linguistics of this. All right, so they're changing this to instill confusion, to remain in control of the dialogue. Okay, and so let's start with a few basics. Let's start right off the bat with sex and gender. All right, what is sex? All right, the biological sex you were born with. This is what we mean by sex. Biological sex is what you were born with, male or female, based on two things, your genitalia and your chromosomes. Okay, now, what does gender then mean? If sex means the biological sex you were born with, male or female, what does gender mean? General, gender is what you perceive yourself to be. If you feel male or female. And they say it's not related to biological sex. This is our first error. And some people feel that their gender identity, a term that came in 1963, the same tumultuous time Kennedy was shot, the Supreme Court pulled prayer out of the schools, Vietnam was just ramping up, tumultuous time. So in 1963, they, they began to talk about gender identity, and they said it is different from biological sex. What is it? Some people do not define themselves as having a binary identity. All right, what is a binary identity? There's only male or female, two binary essences. Okay, now, they say, for them, the concept of biological sex is not relevant to their identity. They say gender matters. Sex doesn't. The Catholic Church says sex matters. Gender doesn't. It's just a perception. All right? So let's go to our next slide. Gender dysphoria. What is this? It describes a sense of unease that a person may have because of a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity. In other words, what they were born with, chromosomes and genitalia, doesn't match their perception that I feel male or female. They desire to express their gender identity. They do this, they want to express it, and they do this by changing the way they look, the way they behave, and maybe even their body. And so again, we're not blaming them. This is confusion sown by the evil one. They may use hormones and sometimes even surgery to express this gender identity. 
So again, sex is what I'm born with, chromosomes and genitalia. Gender is what I perceive myself to be, male or female, even though I was born a male or a female in my sex, they perceive gender to be, I feel male or female. And then the gender identity is acting it out. The way I look, the way I act, hormones, surgery. All right, now, the causes of gender dysphoria, however, are very unclear. So we should, as one of our workers I was working with yesterday said, that means we should use the least invasive procedures possible. Don't go under the knife when you don't even know what it's for yet. Now, it is not a mental illness according to the American Psychiatric Association. That's another problem. But some people have developed mental health problems because of this dysphoria. All right, let's keep going real quick. Transitioning, let's go to our next slide. What is transitioning? This is a process in which one moves from living in a life that's aligned with the sex that you were assigned at birth. So I was born with male chromosomes and male genitalia. I have lived my life aligned with that. Transitioning means I switch over, not I, someone, switches over to their gender identity of something else and then aligns their lifestyle with that. First is social transition. Now this is the way we dress, our name, pronouns. All right, next is medical transition. Medical transition starts with puberty blockers. These are very dangerous. These are actually chemical castration drugs, okay? Then they move into hormone replacement therapy taking estrogen if you're transitioning to a woman, taking testosterone if you're transitioning to a man, and then surgery. They don't have to do all of them, but the problem is when you start one, you often get stuck in this process. Going to the others, it becomes a spiral. All right, let's do a couple more uh, definitions. Next slide is transgender. Transgender was first used in 1965 People whose gender identity, how they perceive themselves, doesn't match the sex that they were assigned at birth, so they change it physically or in their behavior. They may identify as straight, gay, or bisexual. Now, let's go to our next slide. We talked a little bit about non-binary, and these are people whose gender identity and or their gender expression, how they act, falls outside the categories, the binary categories of man and woman. They trump that. They may define their gender as falling somewhere between man and woman, or they may define it as something wholly different. I'm neither man nor woman or a blend. Now, gender neutral is one who identifies as neither male or female. So that's part of it. Now let's go to our next slide. What about gender fluid? Gender fluid is one whose sense of gender identity is not stable but fluctuates anywhere along that spectrum. I'm not fully a woman, but I'm more that way. Not fully a man, but I'm more that way. 
And so this is gender fluid. Now what about agender? Agender is one who feels that they lack a gender altogether. I don't know how that's possible, but um, androgyny is one who identifies as a blend between male and female, but one gender, whereas bigender is one who identifies as having two gender identities. And finally, we wrap up with the next slide, cisgender. I never heard this term, but this is what I am, many are, whose gender identity matches the gender they were assigned for their physical sex at birth. So if you consider yourself a heterosexual, um, living the way God made you, then you are now called by the medical community cisgender. Why? Well, cis means on this side, why trans means on the other side. So cisgender, my sexuality and gender identity lie on this side. Transgender means my sex and identity lay on the other side. So laws now exist to cover most all of these procedures. They have to pay them. The lobby is extreme. They lobby the policies for these changes under compassion. But an identity crisis is better served through therapy than surgery, unless you know there's a reason. So in this talk, I'm gonna be referencing a lot of sources, but a main one is Paul Hertz. He's a PhD who is the professor of pediat pediatrics, endocrinology, and diabetes at Washington University, the St. Louis School of Medicine. Why? Because he spoke here. He was at our shrine uh, back earlier this year at our healthcare conference. Now, I'll be referring to this. I'm not going to keep quoting it every time. So if you say, Father, you don't give your sources. If I did that, I would spend all day listing the sources. If you want to know the sources, these are all easily referenced. So the main point is these people are looking for something. You can't blame them. They're looking, but what we pray for them is that they open their heart to find the truth. Instead of being shown that they are looking for God and finding God in themselves, they are being taught this agenda, making themselves God. So if we're gonna point the fingers, we, we point it at this agenda. This is surprisingly supported by psychiatrists and doctors the Association, or the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, APA, AAP, they all accept it. Now here's something I bet you didn't know. Acceptance was not by all the members, not all the doctors, not by all the pediatricians or the psychiatrists. Acceptance was done by the boards. Isn't that something? Acceptance was done by small subcommittees and board approval, not by a membership vote. So these doctors and psychiatrists are being told their own associations support this stuff. They're afraid to speak out. They'll lose their license. Some have. God bless them. There's one called the WPATH, World Professional Association for Transgender Health, and this totally came from an unscientific beginning. 
You're not gonna believe how it was created. I'll explain that in a minute. And they admit that research is lacking and of low quality. We have to keep this in mind. There's no long-term studies on transgenders, so there's no proof that it is safe and people are satisfied. Problems are not solved. Many have depression, anxiety, addiction, eating disorders, mood disorders, become sexual abusers. Do you know that 56% of transgender youth have contemplated suicide and 31% have attempted it. For cisgender, it's 11% have attempted it. Now, some of this comes from our culture. Why are so many people now just all of a sudden feeling this way when so few did in the past? Why? I'll give you an example, in 2012, there were no studies of any documented cases of young girls with gender dysphoria. Zero. By 2017, the rate of sex change surgeries among girls soared. A lot of this from social media. Brown University. Now, 40% of the students identify as LBGTQ Many are doing it for benefits and advancement. Our society is warped if that's what we give them to think will help them in advancement and recognition. Let's go to our next slide. This is a guy walking around a t-shirt that says, I'm no gender. Our society is now praising and cheering this. People who were considered outcasts before now have a have a cheering team, a cheerleader squad. We gotta love and support these people so they don't need that cheerleader squad from the wrong team. Wow. If a man feels he is a woman, we have to make him a woman. Let's go to our next slide. It's become a civil rights issue. Look at this slide. Transgender rights are human rights. No, a lie is never a right. A falsity is never a right. And you can't question it now because it's a civil right, even though there's no research to support it. Once a child enters into trans therapy, listen to this, doctors cannot legally convert them out of it. If you declare your gender identity as a young boy is now a girl, Legally, doctors cannot convert you out of it. Yet, conversion therapy to heterosexual, chaste lifestyle is now illegal. This is insanity. Ask those who are part of Courage. Not everywhere, but in many states, they are outlawing conversion therapy. Only conversion to heterosexual, chaste living. But conversion therapy in transitioning is legally not to, 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 to get, interfere with. You can't interfere with it. You have to legally allow it. This is really strange. If, you know, I, I, this is an example to me that speaks volumes. If someone with anorexia weighing 98 pounds 
perceives that they are fat. Picture this. Somebody with anorexia. She weighs 98 pounds. And she perceives she is fat. Are you going to put her on a diet? You'll kill her. There's an article that Brother Mark sent me that says, now that we know there's scientific proof that these conditions harm babies in the womb, the title of the article is, Harmful Fetal Outcomes Are Now Less Important Than Feelings of Transgender Patients. So even if it puts their baby and their pregnant at risk, they continue these hormone therapies. Putting the baby at risk because their feelings are more important. Again, I don't blame them. I'm blaming the agenda that tells them they are to feel this way. Trent Horn from Catholic Answers had a good thing. He says, what determines reality, fact or feelings? He said, in psychiatric hospitals, it is standard procedure not to feed into a patient's delusions. If a person says they are a dog, they don't feed them dog food. If somebody in the, in, the, in the hospital, psychiatric hospital, says, I am a dog, and they were fed dog food, what would you think about that? However, if a patient with a male genetic code and male genitalia says he's a woman, the staff legally is required to treat him as a woman don't understand the difference. What if a person thinks that <clears throat> they are disabled, but they're actually healthy? This one was, I've seen a couple examples of this. Should they get all the benefits of a disabled person? They perceive themselves as disabled, but they're perfectly healthy. Okay, let's ask this. Shouldn't we appropriately treat their mistaken sense of identity? rather than amputate their leg so that their body now conforms with their mistaken identity? Some actually want this. They're called transabled. I was just told one story the other day about a woman whose limbs were totally perfect, but she, walked, she sat in a wheelchair all day and used pulleys. But the doctors confirmed there's nothing wrong with her limbs. If we are upset that a doctor would amputate her legs just because she says they don't work of this transable person, then why aren't we equally upset that a doctor would amputate the healthy genitals of a transgender person? When asked if it was justified to amputate healthy limbs on someone who perceives they are handicapped, Dr. Mueller said in a 2009 American Journal of Bioethics article, you can look it up, no, it's not ethical. It's not justified. Because we could see this person has a mental disorder that's an incorrect perception of reality of their body. And so we cannot facilitate this. Really? Please explain to me the difference. 
Let's watch a quick video of what is called compassion. That we are doing all this in the name of compassion. Is it really compassion? Let's take a quick look. This is a less than a one minute video. If you're a therapist, you yes. can no longer really even question the identity claims of your clients, but you can convert kids surgically. So tell me how we can have, be having this conversation even. Oh, it's yeah. just beyond comprehension. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think people have very different views. Uh, people, a lot of people just want to tolerate it and say, this is fine. Tolerate it's... what? Tolerate what? Castration and double mastectomies for 13 year olds? Well, yeah, no, but, seriously, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. That's not tolerance. Most of the bloody Nazi propaganda that led to the extermination policies at the beginning of World War II were predicated initially on compassion and tolerance. So this whole, we're being compassionate and tolerant. It's like, no, you're not. You're aiding and abetting the surgical mutilation of minors. That is not compassionate and it's not tolerant. Okay, so an eye-opening video there about a needed surgery. It's not compassion. Now, how did all this start? This is fascinating. The first transgender surgeries, most of them were male to female, were in university clinics in the 1950s. Surprising. I would have guessed the 60s. Researchers, though, found no objective proof it was successful. But they found it was harmful, and most stopped in the universities. Since then, private surgeons have stepped up to take their place and their practices have skyrocketed. I just watched a guy on YouTube last night saying how healthy and good this all is. He's a plastic surgeon. Yeah, and you wonder why, no offense to other plastic surgeons, I, I, I'm sure many of you are doing good work, but he's out there justifying children being changed in their genitals because he says it's healthy for them. And he says that it will prevent them from committing suicide. That is absolutely false. There's no evidence of that. Private surgeons now have taken over. The transgender movement began, did you know this? With three pedophilia uh, uh, activists, pedophilia activists. But I bet you didn't know this. The entire trans movement, the core of it. I mean, it's always been present in one way or another in transvestites and other, but the actual surgical hormonal changes started with pedophilia activists. Their subjects were not the general population. Guess who they were? Prisoners with extreme sexual deviancy, not the general population. It all started with, let's go to our next slide, Dr. Alfred Kinsey. You've probably heard the name, a biologist and sexologist. Many have proven now his studies were completely um, invalid, completely bogus. He made up data. He believed that all sex acts were legitimate, including pedophilia, bestiality, sadomasochism, incest, adultery, prostitution, and group sex. He lobbied against protecting of kids. He authorized experiments on toddlers to justify that children enjoyed sex. This is sick. He embraced transgenderism when a case came to him of an effeminate boy who wanted to become a girl. 
Kinsey consulted an endocrinologist named Dr. Harry Benjamin. The two saw this as an opportunity to change a transvestite. Now, transvestites, they had existed before. They were people who dressed, so like a, a man dressing as a woman. But now they wanted to go way beyond dress or makeup. So Dr. Benjamin offered female hormone therapy and possible surgical procedures to feminize this young boy. The third co-founder of this transgender movement was a psychologist named, of all things, Dr. Money. Dr. John Money. Now, this is unbelievable. Dr. Money's first transgender case came in 1967 when he was asked by a Canadian couple, the Reamers, to repair a botched circumcision on their two-year-old son, David. Dr. Money told the distraught parents that the best way to assure David's happiness was to surgically change his genitals from male to female and raise him as a girl, and he would never know the difference. Can you even imagine? But like many parents, they listen to what the doctor tells them. So doctor, um, the doctor did this. Now, David Reamer, the young boy, his adaptation to becoming a girl was a far cry different from what Dr. Money reported in all the journals. He said how great it was. And this boy, uh-uh. By age 12, he was so severely depressed that his parents told him the truth, told him the truth of his, depression, his uh, transition. And by age 14, he chose to undo his gender change and live as a boy. But it was too late. He was mutilated. Later, David and his twin brother, Brian, exposed the sexual abuse that they had occurred under this Dr. Money, forced sexual acts on each other. And in 2003, Brian died from suicide. And not long after, so did David. Dr. Money was proven as a fraud, but by 2003, surgeries were now mainstream. Now, the results from John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University shows that surgery doesn't give relief. How do we know this? Go to the research on Dr. Paul McHugh. He's the director of psychiatry and behavioral science at Johns Hopkins, and he wanted evidence that this Dr. Money's claims of success following sur surgery were real. He couldn't get any. Studies completely refuted Dr. Money's claims about the positive outcomes of sex change therapy. In 1979, Dr. Meyer said, to say this type of surgery cures, and I'm quoting here, cures psychiatric disturbance is incorrect. We now have objective evidence that there is no real difference in the transsexual's adjustments to life in terms of job, education, marital adjustment, or social ability. Let's go to our next slide. Surgery won't cure your disorder. This is what he said in the New York Times. Surgery is not proper treatment for a psychiatric disorder. And it's clear to me these patients have severe psychological problems that don't go away following surgery. Now, again, I'm just giving you the facts right now. Six months later, the Johns Hopkins Gender Clinic closed. 
Other university gender clinics closed, completely ceasing to perform gender reassignment surgery. No success was reported anywhere. In light of all this contrary evidence, advocates of sex change surgery needed a new strategy. They had to find a new way. So what did Benjamin, Dr. Benjamin and Dr. Money do? They went to a man named Paul Walker, a PhD, but a homosexual and transgender activist himself. A committee was formed to draft standards of care for transgenders. This is what our Bible is today that furthered their agenda. The committee included, listen to this, a psychiatrist, a pedophilia activist, two plastic surgeons, a urologist, all of whom were financially benefiting from keeping gender reassignment surgery going. All of them benefited. Now, here's what's a killer. The Harry Benjamin International Standards of Care were published in 1979, and they give new life to the whole realm of gender surgery. Guess what, everybody? That has now become WPATH, the World Professional Association for Gender Health, that is the Bible for all of transgenderism, came from an unscientific pedophilia beginning of Dr. Benjamin and Dr. Money. It's based on a lie. Now, I'm probably going to get canceled. But you know, I was praying this morning and I said, you know what? If I get canceled, praise and glory be to God. If that's what it takes, I don't know. I heard Matt Walsh on a talk yesterday saying, you know what? You know why I'm doing this? Why I'm speaking up on it? He says, I really don't want to do this. I really don't feel compelled to do it. And I'll be honest with you, I don't either. He says, the reason I'm doing this is because really there's nobody else doing it. And when I heard that, I'm like, okay, Lord, I got to do this. We got to speak the truth. Where is this all coming from? All right, I'm going to give you the list. It's amazing. First, contraception. The sexual body and function has been completely pulled away from its purpose of procreation. And we're treating it in these surgeries which have no purpose of procreation. When a woman transgenders into a man, her male organ is not functional. Why is this coming about? It's also money. This process can lock people into being lifelong patients. There's a lot of money. It's about control. Many out there are stating this is a Marxist global agenda. The cultural revolution, and it's coming into our schools. It's Marxist propaganda. It's designed to divide kids from their parents. What is the core of Marxism? Division. Division of the classes. This is designed, is it not working? Are kids not being divided from their parents? Families being torn apart? If you think this is conspiracy theory, please wake up. They said that about the Nazis. 
when the red flag went out that these are not good ideologies, they were all called conspiracy theorists. It divides kids from their country. Never in my life have I seen such a lack of reverence for this nation. And, and yeah, we've got a ton of mistakes. But the very fact that you can give your opinion, try doing that in Saudi Arabia. Try doing that in Afghanistan. Try doing that in Russia. Especially try doing that in China. Yeah, we got a lot of problems. And we got a lot of work to do. But it's causing hatred and division of kids from their country. It's dividing kids from their culture. It's dividing them from their very selves. It divides people from their own government so that the government can control. This is Marxism. It's also demonic. Why is all this happening? Yes, it's contraception, it's money, it's control, but it's also demonic. Please call a spade a spade. In the temples of the demon goddess Asherthroth, let's look at our next slide. Oh, sorry, I missed WPATH, if Brother Mark can show that. That's the World Professional Association of Transgender Health. Now let's go to our next slide. This is the demon goddess Asheroth. Ashtaroth. Who was this? In the temples of this demon goddess, men dressed up as women. That was her ancient priesthood. Many of her priests were sexually altered. This is back millennia ago, thousands of years. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn said that they were involved in same-sex sexuality. She turned men into women and women into men. She transitions them. Then she went after the children. Why? Because the children, with the children you have a future. What possesses an adult to do this to children? The answer is the spirit of this demonic goddess. A transgender biological female was once asked to go to church. I just read this account a couple days ago. It was given to me by one of our employees. And there God gave her a vision. On one side there was a man and a woman, and on the other side was two men and two women. And under the man and the woman were generations that this girl could see, flourishing, progeny. On the other side, with the two men and the two women, there was a red line, and there was nothing below it, no children, no progeny. And God said to this woman that Satan wants to wipe out entire generations. She realized that she had the demon of Jezebel, the demon of homosexuality and identity confusion. This is real. Let's go to our next slide. Children. You've heard me say it many times, eventually the devil will overplay his hand. Up until just this last year, this war was being lost. Then the devil overplayed his hand. 
horribly now involving children. Now I think the tide is starting to turn. If you are not speaking up against this, you will be held accountable by our Lord. We cannot sit by and watch this happen. Our children, our innocent children being forced and indoctrinated into sex acts, being shown oral sex, same-sex oral sex activities is, is bizarre. We have to call it what it is. Let's go to our next slide. You know the drag queen, this, uh, the drag queen story hour at libraries? This began in 2015. Why does it work? Think about this. It captures the imagination of children and preys on their gender, gender fluidity, giving them a glamorous, positive view of queer role models. Instead of having a good role model, they have this. They imagine a world where people can do whatever they wish and where they can dress up and it be real. What kid wouldn't want that? A make-believe world where I can be whatever I want. I want to be a, I want to be a, a, a pro NFL football player. I want to be a pirate. I want to be whatever. Well, in this world, dress up is real. They're being put on puberty blockers and given surgery before they can even vote, drink, or drive. Later, they will find their ability to conceive children and experience sexual pleasure may become destroyed. Disorders like anorexia or cutting, our kids are cutting. These are now being replaced, saying that you're supposed to be a boy. That's why you're doing it. Has nothing to do with the disorder of anorexia or the cutting, but they're being told this is all happening because you're supposed to be a boy. What do we do? Well, one approach... You pray and you wait. Data, why would I say wait? Data shows that 85% of children will get out of it. They will realign their identity to their biological sex, 85%. We are harming thousands of children because we're acting too soon. And now they're dependent on medical care. You know, in the early 2000s, only 15% persisted in their transition process. Do you know what it is now? Think about this. In the early 2000s, 15% only, once they started transition, finished it. Now, 94%. This is shocking. It's social pressure. I just read another story about a mom who wrote a blog that she learned her daughter Helena was depressed, self-harming, and had an eating disorder. And on Tumblr, she was told by everyone that if she didn't fit in and she didn't like her body, it meant that she was trans. If you transition, all of these problems will be fixed, she was told. So she changed her pronouns. Her parents opposed this transition, but the school staff who hadn't noticed her struggles before, she didn't have any attention when she had eating disorders, self-harming, or depression. But now they were suddenly bending over backwards to help her become trans. Why wasn't this help for, available for her before? 
She was prescribed testosterone after a single appointment at Planned Parenthood. Really? Her life became a mess. Now, thank God the mom wrote that she was able to quit after 17 months, but others are not able to. Or some don't want to. They're being taught that there are many benefits to transitioning. Promotions, recognition, being praised. Schools are transitioning without involving the parents. And there's laws to protect this. What about the parents? How come there's no talk about the devastation and the trauma the parents are going through? I can't even imagine. I, 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 I feel for them so bad the pain they must be going through. And then the parents are accused of being responsible for attempted suicides of their children. I heard this case, telling them that they must affirm their child's transition or they will commit suicide. No, most do then affirm it because there's nothing else they can do, especially legally. But many will not find true happiness. This is why they keep seeking affirmation but in the wrong way. Should we affirm them? Yes. But in the truth, being a child of God, being created by God, being loved by God, most of these are a lack of feeling of love. You love them and you convince them God loves them, they're not gonna need this. Parents are told to choose affirmation or suicide. There's no evidence that this prevents suicides, that agreeing that they, they should have surgery. There's no evidence. The suicides come from depression. They're missing this. And in some states, not affirming is child abuse. What's going on? Their affirmation approach is to alter the body to conform to their gender identity, even if it's wrong. The Catholic Church affirmation approach, focus on them as a human person, as a child of God, loved by God. So let's go to our next slide. Let's now get into church teaching. What does the church say about this? The world wants to make a distinction between male and female by choice, not by birth. They want to play God. But if my perception doesn't match reality, it's not reality that has to change. My perception needs to change. If I think I'm a six foot eight NBA basketball player, if I think that's reality, and I show up at the Detroit Piston training camp, do you really think they're gonna think that's reality? I gotta change my perception of reality. That is not reality. If my perception doesn't match reality, it isn't reality it has to change, my perception has to change. A person is born either male or female. Even when those two, there's a blending or there's a manifest of both male and female genitalia, the anatomical aspects of birth, they now say that you can still go to the chromosomes. Even if somebody has characteristics of a feminine, they may have XXF, or characteristics of a, a Y, I mean, of a male. So a girl normally has two X's, right? 
So there may be a, a girl that shows characteristics of a boy, even, even anatomically, but they say that even the chromosomes will show like XXY, so she's still predominantly female. So let's go to our next slide. Even in intersex, you've heard that term, the baby can be identified as male or female 99.98% of the time. 99.98% of the time. And we're changing our world and destroying lives. The church teaches every human person is created in the image and likeness of God, male or female. This is the very first chapter of the Bible. First Genesis. The Catechism says, this is 2333, everyone should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. Now, I'm not trying to say it's just cut and dry, it's just easy, just go do it. That's how my father used to tell me something, just go do it. It's not that easy. You got to walk with them. You got to love them and convince them that God loves them. And this is not just the church saying that it's about male and female. It's the natural design of a human being. The reproductive system, one of our managers taught me this yesterday, and this was actually spoken by Dr. Hertz at our conference. The reproductive system is unique. It's the only one in your body that's incomplete. Your digestive system, complete. Mine works pretty good. The girls laugh at me because I'll eat food sometimes three weeks old because I'm starving and it gets left in the refrigerator and they're like, Father, you're crazy. My digestive system works pretty good. I don't need another person. But your reproductive system is incomplete in one person. Without both male and female, this system does not work for its intended purpose. Estrogen and testosterone work in that body to contribute to that purpose. For females, it is proven, it is internal, it's nurturing so that she can give birth. While the male is proven, it's external, it builds things. Life-giving, that's why the seed, that's why the priest is a male, because he gives that seed from the altar, he's Jesus Christ, that's why Jesus was a male. Jesus gave the seed, but the female, the church, the feminine, she receives it, she nurtures it, she gives birth to it. That's why we call mother church. This is important. Matt Frad, he's a good guy online, he said, male and female brains are biologically different. He did a lot of research on this. These differences affect many aspects of behavior and perception, including memory, emotion, senses, how we handle stress, and even the toys we play with. Men like to build. They are external. Women nurture. They're internal. This is not, this is not a lie. It's just, it is how the hormones work in the natural design of the body. Those who claim that gender is a social construct, find, construct find this abhorrent, but it's proven scientifically. Now, what does the church teach? Let's go to their document, The Moral Limits 
to manipulation of the human body. This is by the US CCB in 2023. It references the Catechism 2297, which says we must reject non-therapeutic surgery that mutilates the body. Paragraph 20, I'm gonna read this to you real quick. Many people are sincerely looking for ways to respond to real problems and real suffering. Makes sense. Certain approaches that do not respect the fundamental order appear to offer solutions. They rely, or to rely, on such approaches for solutions, however, is a mistake. This is the church. I'm reading you the official document from the USCCB. An approach that does not respect the fundamental order, what's the fundamental order? God created the man and woman will never truly solve the problem. In the end, it will only create further problems. The Hippocratic Oath in medicine calls upon all healthcare providers to do no harm. Any technological invention, intervention, that does not accord with the fundamental order of the human person as a unity of body and soul including the sexual differences inscribed in the body between male and female, ultimately does not help, but rather harms the human person. So you can say anything you want about me. My obligation as a priest, I'm giving you church teaching. The next paragraph, 21. Particular care, though, should be taken to protect children and adolescents who are still maturing and who are not capable of providing informed consent. As Pope Francis has taught, young people in particular need to be helped to accept their own body as it was created. Now that caused me to look up what Pope Francis actually says on this. Francis actually wrote, gender ideology is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations today. I found this interesting. This is Francis saying this. He quotes, or I'm sorry, he says, I quote, the question of gender is diluting the differences in the value of men and women and making the world the same, dull, all alike, and that is contrary to the human vocation. He's used the term ideological colonization throughout his pontificate. What does that mean? It is when aid money has been tied to contraception, abortion, sterilization, and gender ideology. He said today children are taught in school that everyone can choose his or her own sex. Why are they teaching this? This is Francis. Because the books are provided by the same institutions that give them money. Hmm. So now, I'm not doing too bad. I've only got one page left. We should treat all identity disorders equally and not refuse to call something a disorder just because some people disagree with that assessment. You know, truth isn't determined by a vote. Just because so many people want something or not doesn't make it the truth. How should we respond to the argument 
that people say that homosexuality is an identity and part of the person. Because we hear that a lot. It is, is it who they are? No. It's an activity they choose. But we got to pray. We got to love them. This is why when the church condemns homosexuality, they are not condemning the person. Homosexuality is not part of the person. They are condemning the activity that the person chooses. The Bible says this. I got a question. Would we use the same line of reasoning on those who are attracted to children sexually? And yes, I will be doing a talk on the church scandal. Should we say that a pedophile's attraction to children is part of who he is, and this is his identity, and therefore confirm it? Now let's suppose you don't even know somebody's a pedophile, but they just tell you they're attracted to children. Your neighbor, nice guy, you've known him for years. And he tells you he's attracted to children. Should we say his attraction is part of who he is, and thus it is his identity, and therefore we must affirm it? Of course not. We would never do that. Why? Because it's not the truth. Affirm them in love through establishing. If you have a loved one who's transgendering and telling you you must affirm them and your children are coming up to you and, and, and you're being told by the doctors to affirm them, okay, yeah, affirm them in love through establishing their love of you from you and from God. Also establish boundaries, love, and respect. You know, I can love you, but it doesn't mean I'm going to rob a bank with you. Okay? I mean, it, it doesn't. You know, I love cameraman Giuseppe. But if cameraman Giuseppe came to pick me up on his motorcycle and say we're going to go rob a bank, does that mean I don't love him because I won't affirm him in that? He says, I'll split you the profits. Now then, okay, no. <laughs> so we have to establish boundaries. But they can be love. Don't be afraid to tell them, no, no pronouns. I can't call you by a different name. I, I, I can't. But you do it in love. You do it patiently. Love is to will the good of the other. And this ideology is not good for them. It has health risks. We should help people discover their true identities as children of God, not support them in some disordered attempt to reject their biological identity given by God. Now, at the same time, reprove those who engage in name-calling and other uncharitable behavior towards transgenders. There's no room for that. That's wrong. That's, in, that's not Christian. Someone struggling with this disorder requires counseling, love, time, appropriate medical intervention, an empathetic ear, somebody willing to listen. They are confused. They're not bad people. We love them. But let's go to our next slide, though. However, we shouldn't celebrate 
mutilation of healthy bodies. Now we're celebrating it. So I'm going to end there with the church teaching. I'll give you a couple documents. Let's, Brother Mark, go to our next slide, church documents. Here's some of the church documents you want to read more that I've been pulling from here. There's maintenance of biological reality. This is fides et ratio. We have the moral obligation limits of medical treatment, which I just read from the USCCB. Affirmation of human dignity, evangelium vitae. We have the art of accompaniment. This is evangelii gaudium, an acknowledgement of suffering. Salvifici dolores. Many good resources in what our church teaches. All right, now, my final page, because a lot of this we have to summarize. Now, there are so many mental and physical health risks, especially to children, that we got to make you aware of. According to John Hopkins professor Paul McHugh, he was quoted as saying, when children who reported transgender feelings were tracked without medical or surgical treatment at both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic, over 80% of them spontaneously lost these feelings. Second ago, I told you it was 85%. This one says over 80. Give them time. Last page. Imagine how devastating it would be for a little boy or a little girl to have their body, let's go to our next slide, permanently mutilated just because he or she expressed a fleeting childish thought. Look on the screen there. Anybody recognize that? That's the monkeys. They were a rock group from the 1960s. When I was a little kid, I don't know, six, seven, I had an absolute infatuation with Mickey of the monkeys. I wanted to look like him. I wanted to be like him. I, I just think he walked on water to me. That's a picture. He's in the middle. <laughs> That's Mickey Dolenz. I was six, maybe seven. And I'd watch that TV show, The Monkees. And it was like I was way into him more than any girl. My first little girlfriend, I don't even know if she's around anymore, but she hears this. Her name was Victoria Balloon. And I did not like her as much as Mickey. Now, what if my parents would have rushed me in to be altered and changed? Now, I couldn't even imagine. Couldn't even imagine. We are doing this to our children. In 2011, a study was done at the Kirolinska Institute in Sweden, and it produced something very illuminating. The long-term study, 30 years they did this. They followed 324 people who had sex reassignment surgery. Now listen to this. After about 10 years, the transgendered began to experience increasing mental difficulties. They had extreme risks Suicide, sterility, strokes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, psychological problems, higher death rates. This is 
many, many, many risks that we're not teaching these little kids, nor should we. This shouldn't even be a discussion. But let's watch one more quick one-minute video where this psychologist answers off the top of his head when he was, this woman was talking about the risks involved. Oh, he means, you mean risks like this, 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 this? Let's take a look at this quick video. Kids are being led to believe and parents are being led to believe that you can step in with these very powerful medications, these hormones, and you can deny biology and you can pause biology. You can create a persona of the opposite sex without paying a huge price. That is the lie that's being told, that you're not gonna pay a price for this. Oh yeah, there might be a few side effects. No, 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 no. I mean like a whole missing forearm, for example, and a penis that doesn't work, and, and sterility and lowered voice, decreased bone density, and the increased probability of the development of cancer, and no evidence whatsoever that there's any, any mental health benefit, and all the trauma, that you put your family through and all the regret that's going to emerge later in life when you find out that you're sterile, no ability to breastfeed and complete loss of er erotic sensation in the nipples and et cetera, et cetera. You mean those risks? All right, now, that should open our eyes. These are all proven medical risks. Now let's go to our next slide. Oh, wait, before we do, before we do, if Marky could turn it off, I want to give a little warning on this next slide. Um, if you've got little children watching, it's a little graphic. But I think it needs to be shown to give you an idea of what is happening. Now, before we show this slide, the healthcare, if healthcare is the reason tra to transition, it is not accomplishing that. Healthcare is to make you healthier. Now, before we show you this picture, if you have any little children or watching, this might be one part where you close their ears. But I think it, it's got to be said. Um, if a woman is transgendering to a man, her male organ, I did not know this until I started doing heavy research, comes from her forearm. They tear the entire forearm apart and take the meat all the way to the bone. And this will become the male organ, sex organ. Ironically, it's not a sex organ because it's completely non-functional. You cannot go to the bathroom through it. You cannot... Um, have sexual emissions through it. And they'll take that arm and they'll cut that off, this whole part of uh, the uh, meat to the bone. And then that organ becomes completely non-functional. Where's the health care in creating a completely non-functional cosmetic destructive to your body thing. It's not even an organ. So now let's let, if, if you have young, this may be a little much for them. So let's now have Mark put up this picture. On the left is the picture of the forearm drawn up. Can you believe that picture to the right? 
look what is happening. Then in the picture in the lower left, it is being removed, the flesh. And on the picture on the right, we blurred it out, but that's the new male organ. This is demonic. This is crazy. It's, I can't even explain it. Let's go on. Trent Horn, also on um, Catholic Answers, said, let's say if a trans, you know, and a lot of people say, well, Father, this is about non-discrimination. This is about compassion. Again, devil causes confusion. This is not compassion. This is a lie that's not compassion. Trent Horn said, let's say if a transgender individual goes into an emergency room with a gunshot wound and the doctor doesn't want to treat this person only because they are transgender, that would be unjust discrimination. Wrong, not good. But let's say that you have a doctor who does mastectomies, mastectomies for people who have breast cancer. But you have someone who has a healthy, who has healthy mammary glands and they want to remove them because they only identify as a male. There's nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with their breasts or their glands. Here, it would not be unjust discrimination for the doctor to say, in my practice, I don't amputate healthy breasts or mammary tissues. I only do unhealthy ones. That is not discrimination. That's called ethics. That's the Hippocratic Oath. You doctors take a Hippocratic Oath to never, ever do something to a patient that is not in their best interest. What are you doing? The Nordic countries who started all of this in Holland, for instance, they were the early adopters of this and they designed the protocol for transition hormones and surgery. Then it came to the United Kingdom and then to the United States. Started in Holland, came to the UK and then the US and was fully adopted here by medical professionals because of those reasons, money, control, all those other things I listed. At that time, there were only two gender clinics in the United States. Now there's well over 100 because there's money behind it. But you know what's interesting? Those same Nordic countries that started it and the UK are now stepping away from it. The Nordic bishops are speaking out. Finland, Sweden, Norway, and even the UK have slowed down on this dangerous trend. Basically, as it's been said, nobody can truly be transgender. I bet you've never heard this, and this is where I'm, I know I'm gonna get in trouble, but I gotta say it. Nobody can truly be transgender. They can only perceive themselves as transgender. We can't transcend 
the binary reality that God created. He says it in the first chapter of the Bible, God created the male and female. That Matt Walsh has that famous question, what is a woman? So do you know how to define it? He defined it as an adult human female. A person, quote, of the nature to get pregnant. A man cannot. You know what's crazy? If a woman goes to the doctor and says, I cannot get pregnant, he'll look at her body, at her reproductive system, her ovaries, and he will take a look to find if he can find the reason. If a man goes to a doctor and says, I'm troubled because I cannot get pregnant, the doctor's going to look into his mind, at least a normal doctor, to find the problem. Do you know two major dictionaries now list the definition of women to include men? Two major dictionaries. Now, under the definition of women, include men. Gender identity has not existed until it was brought to us by three degenerate, perverted men. Just in the last few decades. But the idea that there are only two genders goes back to the beginning of humanity. Which one? has more credence? Which one has more reality or logic? That's pretty clear. And so I finish with Bishop Coakley. He had a, an article called Respond with Love to Those with Gender Dysphoria Without Compromising the Truth. Let's go to our last slide here. This is Archbishop Paul Coakley of Oklahoma City. Good guy. He advised parents to be open and to listen to their child's struggles, but also to seek counseling and not to adopt pronouns different from the child's biological sex. Now, again, I'm reading you his words. Archbishop Coakley called for responding to those experiencing gender dysphoria with empathy, but without compromising on the reality of God's creation of humanity as male and female. He said, quote, each person who identifies as transgendered is loved by God and is a person Jesus died to redeem. As a church, we want to walk alongside you. This is the theme of this talk. Walk with them as you struggle with gender dysphoria. If somebody comes up to me and says this, I mean, I, I told you my, my best friend, my roommate in college, uh, well, it wasn't my roommate. He lived in the same floor. And then later, we lived in the same apartment complex. And he came to me one day out of the blue. We were, we were at a place called Cedar Point, which we were celebrating the end of our college career. I finally got my engineering degree. It's a beautiful day. So I went there with Julie. He went there by himself. We were with a bunch of group of people. And we're sitting there at Cedar Point, and he grabs an ice cream, and as he's eating his ice cream, he turns around and he says, Chris, I am a practicing homosexual. Are you going to hate me? My heart sunk. I'm not going to hate you. 
I'm going to love you even that much more because of the struggle that you are incurring. I, I, if you're going to ask me to condone it and to agree with it and affirm it, I can't. Now, God bless him, he wasn't looking for that. All he wanted to know that I wasn't going to be his ex-friend or that I was no longer going to talk to him or that I was going to publicly criticize him or laugh at him. I said, no. And he said, thank you. I, I didn't think so, but I've experienced that with others. I gave him a big hug. I said, but I have to emphasize, I, if you're expecting me to say this is good or this is wonderful or I'm proud of you or that this is, this is fantastic, I can't do that. And he said, I understand. Now, if that was all we were talking about, I don't have a problem with people who, who are just simply looking not to get beat up or picked on. That's wrong. But when you force me as an employee to go out into a parade and fly a flag as nude men are dancing in front of children, you're gonna have to lock me up in jail because that's not gonna happen. And so Archbishop Coakley said, as a church, we want to walk alongside you as you struggle with gender dysphoria. We must avoid the extremes. What are the extremes? To ignore their pain and dogmatically assert that biological sex is the end of the conversation, done, I don't want to talk to you anymore. He said that's wrong. But it's also wrong to jettison the truth of the body in the false hope of compassion and relieving their pain. It's not going to do that. A Catholic response must both affirm God-given sex and recognize the struggle of the person, he said. Parents need to be in communication with their sons and daughters, to be engaging them regularly and making time. But here's what he said that's interesting. Not just for this conversation. You're not going to be trans, are you? No, Mom. Okay, see you next week. No, but about anything that matters to them, their grades, their sports, whatever it might be. The fact that people have embraced false beliefs about gender, sex, and marriage does not make them any less worthy of Christian love of neighbor, polite treatment, and gentleness. I think he said that very well. We are not Christians because we are dealing with perfect people. <laughs> We are called by God to be Christian to everyone, especially to our ideological or political opponents and even the enemies of the church. Jesus did it. Forgive them, Father. Why? Because Jesus showed us the way. He was the hardest on those not who were mistaken or falling into weakness. Today is the feast of what? Mary Magdalene. What a great saint to have for today. Did Jesus condemn her? Her weakness, impurity, unchastity, adultery. Did he condemn her out of that weakness? No. But he also told her to go sin no more. This is 
a great saint to turn. He was not the hardest on those like Mary Magdalene. In fact, she's the first witness to the resurrection. He was the hardest on the Pharisees. Why? Because they didn't show mercy. We got to show mercy. That doesn't mean we compromise the truth. Jesus was gentlest with those who were farthest from God out of human weakness or ignorance. These people are away from God out of human weakness and ignorance. Let us not be Pharisees and say, how dare you dine with them? Let us invite them into our homes, but always be a witness to the truth. Never compromising that what they are doing is good because it makes you happy. That's a lie. As Galatians 6.2 says, let us carry one another's burdens. We can do that without sacrificing the truth. This is not an easy topic. I didn't want to do it. But I've gotten so many letters. Father, please speak on this. So I did. At what cost? I don't know. But I can't imagine anybody could burn me in the fires of hell for this talk. We are not hating anybody. We love all people. Christ died for all people, but we love them. We want to get them back to heaven. And this is not the way to do it. Please walk with them. Help them. And I want to finish it's a little longer video because we have a couple minutes left. I'm on time. This is a three-minute video, so it's a little longer than I usually show, but it's going to summarize this entire talk. Let's take a look. Gender dysphoria is a, a condition where a person's physical, biological sex is one, say a boy, but in the person's mind, they think they're really a girl or vice versa. It's not something that you can identify on any objective test. You can't do a blood test, for example, you can't do MRI imaging, you can't do genetic testing to actually find this gender identity. My name is uh, Dr. Michael Laidlaw, I'm an endocrinologist uh, in Rockland, California. This gender identity, which is really a child saying, I believe I'm this, I believe I'm a boy, I believe I'm a girl, something opposite of their body. Once they say that, they go down this road of gender affirmative therapy. That consists of social transition, wearing, say, stereotypical clothes of the opposite sex uh, to pretend that they're the opposite sex. Then these puberty blockers, then these cross-sex hormones, and then finally surgical modifications to the body to try to make the person appear that they're the opposite sex. Puberty blockers are, are powerful hormones. Um, they act on a small gland in the brain called the pituitary and this controls the sex organs. For example, testicles make testosterone, ovaries make estrogen, and the pituitary controls that happening. Now these blockers stop this action, and then whereas, say, a, a girl is in age nine and continuing or beginning to develop in puberty and should continue until a full adult woman, it's stopped. Once you stop it, uh, there are various harms and problems that occur afterwards. Unfortunately, many of our professional organizations uh, are advocating for this, including uh, Endocrine Society. And it's important to bear in mind that there's very small groups of people controlling these societies. Small groups of people are making these pronouncements 
And then when physicians want to turn to what's the best practice, they're finding these things. And there's no rigorous research done. There's no controlled studies. It's very poor research, but it's, I guess, politically correct to go down these roads by these uh, organizations. Doctors will feel compelled to follow what their organization says without really looking into the evidence necessarily. There is heavy duty propaganda basically going on, but these gender clinics have uh, sprung up and have multiplied all across the country. The numbers are going up around the world, in the UK, Canada, here, other places. More and more kids are, are being um, diagnosed with this, and there's a social contagion component. People, uh, kids going on to you know, YouTube, Tumblr, things like that. So the, so the cases are rising. It's a major problem that we have to address. In my practice as a physician, I always look at side effects of medications before I give anything to anyone. Say for diabetics, I always tell them, you know, if you can work on your diet and exercise first, I'd rather have you do that than take these medications because there's, there's side effects and there's problems that are potential. But if you need it, then, then you need to take it. With this, I can see no need to take these medications. I see the risks as being very high. And I see children as a very vulnerable population, can't speak up for themselves, and their parents are often propagandized by this movement. I've met a lot of these parents. Uh, my heart goes out to them. I've seen their kids and pictures of their kids, and it really, it's about helping kids. So God bless that doctor for the courage as an endocrinologist that he spoke what he did, summarizing beautifully, I think, the um, truth of what we're trying to convey today. Now, we ask you in the name of the truth to continue to stand for it, to be able to do it in love. Remember, truth in love, that is mercy. Mercy is not lying to somebody out of false compassion. Mercy is truth and love. And so we invite you to join us. Um, if you aren't already a Marian helper, uh, Brother Mark can put it on the screen. Please join us. Visit micprayers.org. This is a great way for you to pray for us. We pray for you. It doesn't cost anything. It takes about 15 seconds to do it. So we invite you then. Finally, if you want to learn more, we have our books, Understanding Divine Mercy. You can get that at Shop Mercy or 800-462-7426. If you can't afford it, but you truly will read it, I'll send you a free copy. Uh, just contact Peter, and his email is peterjames at marion.org. And finally, talk about suffering and talk about suicides. Let's go to our last slide there. This page is um, about the book After Suicide that I wrote with Brother Jason. Um, this book will help with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide, but especially suicide. So if you have lost a child or a loved one, please pick up a copy. I promise it will help. And then last, I'll be heading to the Philippines. Um, we hope that you'll, you'll join us if your friends or family are out there. On July 28th, I'll be at St. James the Great in Alabang. July 29th, I will be um, at uh, Quezon City. On August the 5th, I'll be at the Rogationist College in uh, Cavita. And then on August 7th, I'll be at our shrine in Mindanao, which is El Salvador City. And that is um, gonna be on August the 7th. Um, it's Caigayan uh, de Oro. And then we just added a new one because the demand has been, it's in Baguio, B-A-G-U-I-O. And this is near the priest retreat I'm doing in Manila. And it's from eight to 11 on July 31st. 
Um, so we'll be doing that so you could add that to the list. Well, praise be to God. Thank all of you for being here. And let's not forget, we are the ones, our brother, we are the caretaker of our brothers. And we need to help them, love them, and pray for them. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. The talk is ended. Thanks be to God. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.